transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? So this morning I put out the welcome mat. Here it is. I don't know if you saw it or not. Maybe you can't see it, but now maybe you can see it. We all know what this is. Many of us have one of these at our house. Probably many of you have a mat very similar to this at your front door. Or maybe if you don't have a mat that says welcome, maybe you have a little sign. Those are real popular now. A little sign maybe in the middle of a wreath on your door or maybe to the side of your door. And that sign says welcome. And the message is very clear. If you come to this house, you are welcome here. And that's the message we want to send, right? Or at least that's the decoration we want at our front door. You see, there's something else in recent years that we have at our front door. Many of us have one of these, a doorbell with a camera. Aren't those nice? I mean, you can see when there's a package being delivered. You can see when the Jehovah's Witnesses are at your door, you know. I will confess there have been times when I have used that for that purpose. I mean, we had a lot of conversations, but just couldn't make much progress. And so at some point, you just have to sort of cut your losses, right? But those cameras are great. And there's nothing wrong with those cameras. But for a moment, I want you to step back and just look at the juxtaposition of two images. One, a message that says, welcome. And the other, a camera, this all-seeing eye that says, yeah, before I welcome you, let me see who you are and let me see if I can determine what you want. We have a camera there to see whether or not we want to welcome the person or the people at our front door. And I know we probably don't necessarily use it like that most of the time, but just for a moment, look at those two images and look at the contrast in those two images. Because I think in those two images, you get to see a glimpse of how some people see the church. I think we see part of our reputation in this world. A reputation that sometimes sends mixed messages. You see, we talk a good talk. We put out the welcome mat. We use language that says, you're welcome here. I stand up here every Sunday and say, if you're a guest, we are so glad you're here. We want you to feel at home here. And not just within this space, but even in our lives, we as Christians want to communicate this message that all are welcome, that God's love is for everyone. And yet, do our actions always confirm that message? How many times do we put this message out there, but really, we want this all-seeing eye? We want to discern whether or not you are like us. We want to see really who you are, what you're about, what you want, why you're here. And then we'll make a decision on whether or not we welcome you. You see, sometimes that's the reputation of the church. And we can get caught up in saying, well, that's not fair, or that's not who we are, or that's not who we're trying to be. But what if we just step back and really take a moment to listen? Take a moment to look at ourselves, not just collectively as a church family, a community of faith, but individually. Are we sending mixed messages sometime as we interact with people at work, with our neighbors, with people out on the streets and in restaurants and in stores? Are we saying, yes, we as Christians are welcoming, we're loving, we're kind, we're merciful, but then are we 
by our actions sending a different message. This morning, I want to ask you, ask all of us, including myself, to consider our posture, to consider how we approach those who are different from us. What is your posture when it comes to people who believe differently than you, who behave differently than you, who vote differently from you, who live their lives and make choices that are much different from the life you live, the choices you make? I want you to consider your posture toward people like that, people you see as different. Because there's a message out there that we sometimes hear that says, avoid those people. Be threatened by those people. Be very leery of those people. In fact, what you probably should do is stay away from them and gather with people who are like-minded. People who think like you think, who look like you look, who believe what you believe. You'll feel more, more comfortable with people like that. And put yourself in something like an echo chamber so that everything that is said just confirms what you already believe, what you already know to be true, who confirms how you live your life, and stay away from anyone and anything that's different. When we look at Jesus, when we look at his life, when we look at his teachings, he had much to say about welcoming people. The way he lived his life teaches us something about how to approach people, about our posture toward people. And so today we look at Jesus and we learn the lesson of the welcome mat. If you have a Bible, look at Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, there are three parables. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, a parable is the story that Jesus told often. A different story, but it's a story that he used something ordinary to illuminate something extraordinary, something spiritual, something eternal. Maybe you've heard this before. A parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, in Matthew chapter 25, there are three of these stories, these parables. And all three of these parables are intended to point us to eternity. They are to help us live a life here with anticipation of what is to come. That this isn't all there is. The things that we worry about, the things that we concern ourselves with, so much of this life we're reminded that there is so much more than this life. And these parables point us to something else, something eternal. The third parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats. That's what we call it, because it is a parable about sheep and goats. And in this parable, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come back, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. You think, well, that's interesting. Well, again, remember, a parable is something that is ordinary, a story about the ordinary, to illuminate or to get at spiritual truth. So he uses sheep and goats. The Son of Man is going to come back. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will inherit the king's inheritance. But the goats will ultimately go on to eternal punishment. You say, okay, I, I'm, I'm tracking so far. Sheeps? Sheeps? I don't think that's a word. Sheep? <laughs> Sheep, good things. King's inheritance. Goats, bad things. Eternal punishment. I want to be a sheep. So Jesus, what's the difference? What's the difference between the sheep and the goats? 
And he tells us. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. As the story continues, Jesus says, those righteous will say, well, wait a second, Jesus. When did we do those things for you? You can almost see them thinking, Jesus, we didn't see you. I don't remember feeding you. I don't remember giving you clothing. And what does Jesus say? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, when you did these nice things, these acts of kindness, when you showed hospitality to the least of these, those people that society says are unimportant, marginalized, those people on the outside looking in, when you did those nice things for them, you actually did those for me. Now, we need to address one thing right off the bat here. Before we talk about what Jesus is saying, let's talk about what he is not saying. If I just come to this parable without any context, without any systematic theology, without any knowledge of any other scripture, I might say, now wait a second, Jesus. It's pretty clear what you're saying here. If I do enough good things, I get to go to heaven. If I'm nice to people, then I can punch my ticket to eternal life. You're going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are the ones who did nice things. That's what I want to be. I want to be in heaven. Scripture is very clear that there is nothing we can do, nothing that we have done, nothing that we will do that can earn our way to heaven. It's not on us doing enough, being kind enough, going to church enough, knowing enough Bible. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. So Jesus is not contradicting Paul. Paul is not later contradicting Jesus. Remember, this is a parable. This is a story about sheep and goats. Remember something familiar to illuminate something eternal. We know it's a parable because, first of all, it's not literal. Jesus isn't going to separate actual literal sheep and goats. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people, right? He's talking about souls. We need to be careful about a literal reading of this parable. What Jesus is saying, I think he's saying the same thing in all three of these parables. He's saying, with your eyes fixed on eternity, live with this sense of anticipation of what is coming and what is coming impacts what you do right here just as the previous parable the parable of the talent says how are you investing what God has given you for eternity's sake here he's saying how you live here and now is important as you keep in mind eternity and specifically what he is saying is that there is a clear and a visible way those who are in Christ Jesus will live here and now. That those who have been clothed with Christ, those who are in Christ, genuine followers of Christ, they will live in such a way. 
because they are in Christ, they will live in such a way that is visible. Well, what way will they live? They will live like Jesus. They will look like Jesus. They won't be perfect, but they will try to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. They will try to reflect the heart of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Well, how did Jesus live? How did Jesus treat people who were in need? How did Jesus approach people who believed differently than him, who looked different from him? You see, Jesus welcomed them. Just look at how he interacted with others who were vastly different from himself. And I challenge you to go through the gospel sometimes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read with that set of lenses on. How did Jesus interact with other people, especially people who were marginalized or people who were different, people who were on the outside looking in? How did Jesus interact with them? And you will see time and time again the heart of Jesus. Let me just give you some examples. People with skin disease, leprosy, how did society treat them? They were literal outcasts. You cannot live here among us. You must live in a colony outside of town. Don't come into town. No one's going to see you. No physical human contact. And what did Jesus do with people who had leprosy? He interacted with them. He even touched them. Jesus was often criticized for eating with tax collectors, the people who sold out to the Roman government, the Jews who decided to line their pockets with the money of their fellow Jews and give Rome some as tax collectors. They were despised, and Jesus sat down and ate with them. He ate with people who were considered sinners. That's what they were called. They were labeled sinners, and Jesus sat down at the table with them. But on the other side, Jesus also reached out to and interacted with Roman centurions, Roman officials. He ate with Pharisees. He spent time and helped widows, people with no real social standing or status, women who had health conditions that would deem them socially unclean. Jesus took time for them. He sat at the table with the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, the one everyone despised. At one dinner, Jesus urged people to go out and invite the poor to their house to have dinner rather than their friends. He sat down and had conversations with a Samaritan woman. Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women. And yet Jesus took the time to talk to the Samaritan woman. She wasn't only a Samaritan. She had had multiple marriages. And Jesus talked to her and listened to her. He welcomed children who gave him nothing politically, no political advantage, no standing. He wasn't able to leverage that for any personal gain. He cared for the blind, the sick, the marginalized, even his 12 apostles. Think about the diversity among his 12 apostles. I think it speaks to his deliberate nature, his deliberate way of welcoming people who were different. He has this political extremist, this zealot, who is this Jewish political extremist, And he also has a tax collector. I'm sure those two had some interesting moments as they followed Jesus. You see, Jesus knew how to put out the welcome mat, didn't he? As someone has said, hospitality wasn't just one of his strategies. It was his strategy. It was how he connected with other people for a higher purpose, to share the good news of the kingdom of God with them. Jesus practiced a posture of inclusion and acceptance 
That's not to say that he ignored sin or condoned immorality. But he didn't define people by their sin. He didn't label them because of their immorality. He saw their hearts. He saw great value in them. And he went out of his way to embrace them. And that made him different. That made him very different. And when you show genuine hospitality, you are different. Because you are being like Jesus. You are following in the footsteps of Jesus. But you aren't just doing it like Jesus. He says you're doing it for Jesus. You remember the parable? When you do these things for those who are in need, those who are different, you are doing those things for me, Jesus says. When you do these for the least of these, Jesus urges us to see people, people in need, people who are different, people who the world says are the least important, the least of these. Jesus urges us to see them and see him when we see them to see Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever consciously tried to see Jesus in someone? Especially someone with whom you disagree, someone you're in conflict with, someone who is different from you? Have you ever just stopped and said, you know, boy, I'm having a hard time in this conversation, or we are not on the same page, but I see Jesus in this person. When you begin to see Jesus in someone else, it changes how you interact with that person. It changes your posture. It changes your approach to that person. Hospitality is not just about inviting people into your home. It's inviting people into your heart, into your life. It's validating. It's hearing. It's asking. It's listening. It's about crossing social and ethnic and religious and political boundaries those lines that we all tend to draw, it's crossing those lines because you have a higher purpose. It's not just being friendly. It's not just being kind, as important as those things are, as good as those things are. It's having a Christ-like posture for the sake of a higher purpose to share the good news of the kingdom of God, to embody the good news, to not just speak about the gospel, but to represent the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, this inclusive kingdom of God. The writer of Hebrews writes this in chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. So do you hear what the writer is saying here? It's kind of, kind of interesting to think about. Angels? So back in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, when you do these things to the least of these, you're doing them for me. The writer of Hebrews says, when you show hospitality to strangers, you may be showing hospitality to angels, or that can also be translated messengers of God. And so what's the point? The point is to see beyond the differences you have, to see beyond the needs, to see beyond the barriers and hurdles and lines and walls and see the spiritual. You may be entertaining angels. You may be entertaining messengers of God. And you know what? Maybe the message they have is for you from God. Seeing beyond the things that separate us means seeing with spiritual eyes. 
this other person or these other people aren't just pick your label they're image bearers of God maybe even messengers of God we must learn to see as Jesus sees and we must learn to extend the love of Jesus that's how walls come down that's how lines are crossed I believe that is how the kingdom is advanced and in a very practical way especially in our day and time that is how the church will grow are you concerned about the future of the church so many churches are closing their doors we're worried our young people are falling away what are we going to do we'll start with seeing with the eyes of Jesus and treating people the way Jesus treated people you know why some young people are falling away because right or wrong they perceive the church is not a welcoming place well they just don't know that's not the time to be defensive are we welcoming are you welcoming are we collectively a welcoming place a welcoming people if we want the church to grow we need to begin to meet people where they are again Jesus wasn't soft on sin he didn't condone immorality that's no one's saying that we're saying extend the grace of Jesus to people hear people see people see the heart of people that's how the kingdom will be advanced when we not only share the good news but when we live out embody the good news that word in Hebrews chapter 13 hospitality the Greek word there is kind of interesting two root words put together there philozenia maybe that first part sounds familiar philo means love specifically the brotherly love the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love or at least that's its title I'm not sure it really is in practice that's what that word means zinya means foreigner or stranger in fact there is a word zinyaphobia it is the fear of foreigners and strangers so when you put those two together what does hospitality mean it means making a stranger a brother it means loving a foreigner in a way that you would your own brother that's interesting isn't it you want to see what that looks like you want to see that definition with flesh on it now let me tell you a story you need to hear the story of Brian and Casey Eastman many of you know the Eastmans here at the Edmund Church they along with the Pathfinders are doing great things Brian serves as the American sponsor for two Afghan refugee brothers Sadullah and Muhammad they're originally from northeast Afghanistan these two brothers came to the U.S. in August of 21 and then ended up in Oklahoma in November most of the men and their family have served in the Afghan military providing intelligence to British and U.S. military forces the guys are both married Sadullah has seven children he and his wife have seven children his children their wives are all back in Afghanistan when it was time to evacuate they couldn't get everyone out and so now their families are separate they are there the brothers are here and Brian and Casey and some of the pathfinders and some in church have helped these guys financially with their passports and visas and with the asylum case that that they're going through and these cases take a long time and they're complicated there's many steps along the way 
But Brian has stepped in and, and just said, what do you need? And he and some of the Pathfinders have helped furnish their apartment that they have. Brian even did their taxes for them. Both these guys have jobs. They make their money. They send their money back to their families to support them. And he said, I can help you with that. But most of all, Brian and some of the other guys in class, they just get together with these brothers every couple of weeks just to encourage them, just to hear their story, just to get to know them better, just to build relationships with them. Sadula attends a weekly Bible study. In fact, he's been here at, at church some. But unfortunately, their interest in Christianity has caused some major problems with the Taliban and their families back home, as you could imagine. You see, Brian is part of a larger support system for these guys. That includes the Pathfinders class. That includes others in this congregation. That includes the refugee ministry at Memorial Road. But Brian is thankful to play a small part as someone who shows hospitality. Here's what he said, and look at this quote on the screen. He said, it's been an enormous blessing to get to know these guys. They have shown me genuine hospitality. They know how to give big, even though they have so little. The biggest thing I've tried to do is to be a consistent presence and let them know that they have people who care about them. Are there differences there? <laughs> so many. And yet I love the heart of Brian, and he would say there are others too. I just want them to know that someone cares about them. I want to extend the heart of Jesus to them. And to that, I would say thank you for putting out the welcome mat. Thanks for your example and your encouragement. And so let me ask you, what is your posture toward those who are different? What is your approach? What if you were approached with that opportunity, what would you do? You see, I believe that there are one of two forces at play. Two very strong forces, two opposing forces. One force that propels us toward hospitality and generosity and love and mercy. And another force that propels us away from it. And I want you to think about what force do you give in to. You see, the first force, the one that moves us away from the heart of Jesus, is simply fear. We're afraid. Don't we fear what we don't know? We fear what we don't understand. We fear things, experiences, and people that we perceive as different. People we don't agree with. People who don't look the same as us, who don't act the same, who don't speak the same way. We fear them because we don't understand them. We don't take the time to understand them because we fear them. John Tyson said this, categorizing people as other has a profound impact on our capacity to love. It changes our desire for connection and the responsibility we feel. Distance creates fear. And fear gives us a reason for suspicion, causing us to withhold care. Isn't that so true? Haven't you witnessed this before? We've all seen this, maybe even in our own lives if we're truly honest with ourselves. Distance creates fear, which leads to suspicion. You see, fear is the force that pulls us away from demonstrating the heart of Jesus, and it is so justifiable. It's so easy to look through that camera and see who's at the door and say, nope, don't want any part of that, because we're afraid. You see, I think fear launches us on this process, this process that we so often give into. And the first thing we do is we categorize people. 
and then we dehumanize them, and then ultimately we sometimes even demonize them. Let me see if I can explain this. You see, if I put a label on someone, it's much easier then for me to treat them a certain way because they're no longer a person, they're an issue. And if I can put them in a a box or put a label on them or associate them with others who think or live or look like them, and then I can separate them away and say those people or that person. But really in my mind, once I put that label on them, they're really not even a person because I need to feel okay about how I'm treating them or about withdrawing from them or about mistreating them. And so they're, they're no longer really a person, they're more of an issue. It's the principle of the thing. And we often get to the point where we even go so far as to demonize them. They are the enemy. They are opposing me. They are opposing God. They are the enemy. Now, are there enemies of God in this world? Absolutely. But so many of the people that we treat as enemies aren't the actual enemies of God. But if I can label them, if I can see them then less than human, and if I can separate myself from them and see them as a threat, then I can feel okay about treating them poorly or about ignoring them. So often this happens. Unfortunately, it even happens in the church sometimes. Fear is a powerful force. I I don't know, you know, maybe you need an example to understand this. Let me just give you a a silly example. Let's say I, I like to wear gray shirts. Every day I wear a gray shirt. Right now I have a gray jacket on. I wear a lot of gray. But you know, I, I, there's a guy who wears a blue shirt. And, I, and I'm not too sure about the blue shirt guy. In fact, I don't even know his name. I just call him the blue shirt guy because he always wears a blue shirt. And, and we're very different from each other. And I am suspicious of him because he always wears a blue shirt. Doesn't he see that gray is a better color to wear? He should wear gray. And because I'm suspicious of him, I'm going to stay away from him. And I'm not too sure that his motives are good. And so I'm just going to group him with all the other people who wear blue shirts. Because you know those blue shirt people. You know how they are. And if I can separate myself from them and feel good about my gray shirt self, then I don't have to associate with them. I can stay away from them. They won't infiltrate me and my protective group. And I can view them as a threat, even as the enemy. Now, that sounds silly. And yet, so often, the lines we draw are extremely silly. Fear is so powerful. But I want to tell you this morning, there is another force at work, the opposing force to fear. And the good news is, it is stronger than fear, much stronger. 1 John four eighteen. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We can allow fear to get its grip on us and close us off to others, damaging our witness for Christ, closing the door on opportunities to share the good news, to bring people to Christ, or we can submit to a greater force than fear, and that is love. And specifically for our discussion, I think it's love connected to empathy. Look back at that verse in Hebrews 13, verse 3. Continue to remember those in prison. Look at what he says. 
as if you were together with them in prison. Keep reading. And those who are mistreated, remember them as if you yourselves were suffering. He says, when you see someone else, don't just say, well, that's, that's bad for you, too bad. Don't separate yourself from them. Don't find reasons to draw lines and build walls. You go there with them. You suffer with them. You see, that's empathy. Empathy is the key to hospitality. Empathy says, I understand what it's like to be an outsider. I understand what it's like to be an outcast, to be marginalized. Or if I don't, I want to. So let me hear what it's like. Let me hear your perspective. Let me try to understand. Empathy stands with the person on the welcome mat, not behind the door looking through the camera at them. Where fear underscores our differences, empathy looks for similarities. Empathy says, let me join you. And that is the key to growing in this grace, the grace of hospitality and kindness. Realizing that people across the line that you have drawn, they're not that much different than you. You know, God is quick to make this point to his people. Back in Exodus, to the Israelites, Exodus 22, verse 21, he says, when you have a foreigner among you, don't treat them poorly, don't oppress them. Why, God? Because you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You're with them, you're just like them. So don't take advantage of them. Don't rule over them. Don't see them as less than. The message hasn't changed. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. He's talking to you and to me, to us as Gentiles, outside the covenant people of God. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That is a bad place to be, without hope and without God. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see what Paul says there? We are the strangers. We are the foreigners. We are the refugees. We are the immigrants. We are the people that are different. We are the outsiders. And God welcomes us. He puts the welcome mat out and he says, all are welcome into the kingdom of God. And he calls us to love the same way and to welcome the same way. To love this way because that is the way he loves us. So what is your posture? Will you take a different posture? I, I know I... I I gave you a lot to chew on this morning, but I hope that you will, that you will humbly consider what God is speaking to you this morning through his word, that maybe it's time to take a different posture. It's really your choice. You can be propelled by fear to draw lines, to build walls, to label, to dehumanize, to even demonize. Or you can be inspired and compelled by the love of Christ to say, I am with you. I don't, I don't understand where you're coming from. I, I don't know your story, but I want to hear it. And it doesn't mean compromising who you are, what you believe. It means simply putting out the welcome mat and saying, of 
course you're welcome. Of course. That's what Jesus did. He calls us to do the same. To put out the welcome mat. This morning, as you consider your life, maybe it's time for you to receive the invitation that Jesus has given you. To live as a child of God. To be clothed with Christ. Scripture is clear about how that happens. It happens by the grace of God through faith. Faith is your trust in him, your obedience of him. Maybe today you're ready to demonstrate your faith to be baptized into Christ, to be clothed with Christ. Don't wait. Maybe we can encourage you. Maybe we can support you. Maybe we can lift you up in prayer. Let us do that. Maybe today you feel like you, you are the outsider. You are the least of these. And if you feel that way, I am sorry. And if we can change that, help us do that. Let us hear your story. Let us know you. It's probably not going to happen in a room like this. It's going to happen in one-on-one conversations. We need to have those conversations. But if we can encourage you, if we can pray for you today, let us do that. A couple of our shepherds and their wives are going to be in the room right behind me, the parlor. They would love to receive you there, encourage you, and pray for you. Let them do that. Go be encouraged by them. Or we can do that as a church family right here. If there's something we can do this morning, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing. Let's stand.